I feel full spiritually. Uh, I was trying to think how we could do this. <laughs> you know, when you eat physically, you uh, we, we hear stories of seven course meals, and uh, you know that's beyond me. I'm down to probably just a single course meal anymore. I don't even like desserts. I like just hot dishes. And uh, so we spiritually we've been fed this morning, and uh, the Sunday school, the devotional, and. Uh, how much more can we take in spiritually? And uh, you know, we, like I said, we talk about seven-course meals physically, and uh, people have done that, and there's, that's still culturally good, adequate, I guess. But uh, you know, when we're full, we sometimes say, "Well, let's, let's just go do something. Let's do some physical exercise for a while." I was trying to think what we could do to use up some of this spiritual. Uh, food that we've assimilated into our spiritual lives, and uh, maybe we should take a break and go into Blooming Prayer and testify what the Lord has done. Come back and have an afternoon service. Well, we are doing that somewhat. So this is the second course. This is the third course here this morning. My message. Fourth course will be our fellowship meal. Fifth course will be the service in Blooming Prairie, and sixth and seventh. I'm not sure where we're going with that one, but uh, that's my imagination running. I've been talking about, been preaching about seven important marks in time. Talk about a seven-course meal. This is a seven-course sermon. And uh, so I come to the last and concluding point of my sermon, of this series of sermons, and it's, uh, the, the title of it is, uh, That's consummation. I like to just review the uh, the other seven points, and they do all begin with the letter C. The first one I looked at was creation, and uh, that our understanding or embracing the biblical account is the key to a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a healthy uh, relationship to God. Second one was the corruption that took place, the corruption and conflict in the garden experience, and again. The, the truth I wanted to impress us with is that life is too big for you and I to handle alone. Our, our foreparents tried it, and it didn't work. We need something a par greater than that. And then we come to the uh, catastrophe of the flood, and that has to do with the accountability that you and I have to answer to God for the way that we have lived our lives, just like is in the days of Noah. There's an accountability for the way we live our lives. We come to the, the confusion, number four. That was the Tower of Babel, and that means, and that's, and somewhat, we're recycling some of these things in our culture today. Uh, so you think about the confusion. Leaving God out of the picture leads to nothing but confusion. But when you factor God into the equation, it, it, it adds meaning and dimension to life and purpose. And then we come to point number five, that was Christ. And what I believe about Christ, and that brings us right here to our Sunday school lesson this morning. Uh, what I believe about him, what place I give in my life will determine my my course through life, and ultimately my eternal destiny. How I view Christ. That's how important it is. Do we, do we grasp that truth this morning? The last time I preached was point number six. I looked at the cross. And in that, in that message on the cross is the sacrifice, the brokenness, that I need a daily fresh look at that cross. And it reminds me of who I am. I'm absolutely nothing. We talked about that in the Sunday school lesson. Where is the humility at? You know, the fact that I can serve God this morning, 
The fact that I can be of any value and purpose in his kingdom work and doesn't matter to what level or degree. We don't worry about position and responsibility. It's about service and opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And that brings us to point number seven. Now, all of those six points have transpired to a certain degree and brings us to point number seven, which is consummation. Is consummation found in the Bible? Is that word actually found in our King James Version? Anybody want to guess? You want to say yes, but you don't know where. Okay. (laughs) I didn't know either, but I did look it up in Strong's, and it is found one time. And it's found in the book of Daniel. And... uh, I don't preach from the book of Daniel very often. I'm not necessarily going to preach from the book of Daniel this morning either. But there was some, some impressive truths that I found as I looked. This, the verse is found in Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27. And uh, this is after Daniel. This is Daniel was in, in captivity at Babylon. And uh, I was impressed as I, I looked at the setting here in Daniel where Daniel uh, uses this word, consummation, Daniel chapter 9, uh, Verse 27, he had been praying. Now, you remember the story of Daniel. Remember some of the background, the lion's den experience? You know, I haven't experienced anything quite like that, really. I don't know if anybody here has. You know, what's the chances of coming out of it being thrown into a den of lions, even if they weren't hungry? Okay, we're talking about being full this morning. Even if the lions were full, what would be the chances of coming out of a lion's den, you know, intact? Probably very, very slim, very, very small percentage. Even if they weren't hungry, they at least like to tie, they at least like to try their claws out on you. I'm sure. At least I'm thinking like a lion here. But uh, you know, here was Daniel. He had been in captivity. The children of Israel, the Jews, had been uh, punished because of their lack of of uh, serving the Lord. Really, that's what it amounted to. They were punished. They were taken into captivity. Daniel, seemingly a victim of circumstances. You know, you look at the life of Daniel. You know, he was serving the Lord, stood up for the Lord Jesus Christ, stood up for God and his purposes, and a man of prayer, a powerful man of prayer. And, uh, you know, when he was thrown, thrown into that den of lions, yet he did not compromise. Here he was. At this point in chapter 9, he was, thought, he was taken probably as a young teenager, maybe 17, 18 if you can relate to that, young people, this morning, here was Daniel, taken as a young person, uh, away from his family, away from his home, things that he was familiar with, and, and thrust into this hostile environment. And, uh, you know, that talk about everything being against you. You know, <laughs> it just, I'm overwhelmed when I think of what Daniel went through. Well, here he is in chapter 9. He's thought to be probably about 90 years old. Now, I'm not anywhere close to 90 yet. I might be getting there, but I'm not anywhere close to 90 yet, but thought to be about 90 years old, and what do we find him doing? We find him reading, if you look at the beginning of chapter 9, it says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So here's here's, uh, Daniel, 90 years old, a prophet himself reading from another prophet, the book of Jeremiah, trying to understand when this is all going to come to an end. Uh, well, here we are in our 21st century, and we're serving the Lord, and I mean, even though I'm not 90 years old, but yet we're trying to figure out how this is all going to come to a consummation in the end. Uh, 
And I know there's different views of eschatology, and I'm not an eschatology student or a student of prophecy, but I do know that there is one view of eschatology that holds the book of Daniel as a very dear, uh, a very dear key book in their understanding of eschatology. And that's, I read through some of that. My father would have been uh, of the premillennialist persuasion, and that's fine. And he had a book that, and as I remember, it was a book that he had received from a minister by the name of Mose Gaiman, I believe. And I think he may be one of those that was instrumental in putting together the doctrine of the Bible. I'm not 100% sure on that, but old Mennonite historical minister. And he had this book, it was green in color, and he liked that book, and he read that book, and he passed that book around to other people, and he actually passed that book to me. And I, I actually read it a little bit, but I couldn't get into it. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't old enough. I don't know. Maybe I had to be 90. But... Uh, I, I wish I knew what happened to that book. I, I didn't get it. I have to go after my siblings, I guess, and say, hey, do you have that Daniel's book from my father? I don't know. I may have to track that down sometime. Or it may be out in circulation somewhere else. I don't know. <clears throat> but I was impressed as I thought about Daniel here, living in captivity, living away from where he, where he really wanted to be, and yet he's, you know what he's doing? He's praying to God, and he's reading the Scripture. He's reading the prophets. And to me, that was, that was a challenge. Uh, rather than being down in the mouth about his experience, about his life, you talk about a whole life being uh, changed or, or maybe totally not what you had anticipated or planned. And here he is still serving the Lord wherever God has placed him. And that to me is a challenge. I was impressed with one commentator's thought. He said that prayer isn't only an exercise where we ask God for things, but it's where we actually get involved in God's program. And I thought of that in relation to the answer to prayer that we had here with Alice in, in Haitian, the Haitian man. You know, prayer isn't only where we simply petition God for things. It's more than that. We, we, it's where God can speak back to us. We may, we may pray to him about things, but yet God has the ability to work through those prayers <clears throat> to help us to understand his program and his purposes. That's actually what happened here if you read through Daniel chapter 9. As Daniel was down and he's, Daniel was praying the angel Gabriel came to him, and he had something to tell him about what his, he answered his prayers as Daniel was praying. And he, he gave him this, uh, angel Gabriel came to him. I also thought, found it interesting that the angel Gabriel was also the one that was the one that announced our Lord's coming and birth to Elizabeth and uh, to Mary as well. We'll look at that maybe just a little bit later. Jesus actually turning to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, refers to this, this verse here in Daniel chapter 9, or this account. If you look uh, in, Dan, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15, <clears throat> and the disciples had come to Jesus here in Matthew 24, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is verse 3, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. And then he dropped down to verse 15. When ye shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And that's our Lord during his earthly ministry referring back to this prophetic expression in Daniel. And I, I found that rather interesting. Consummation, the word actually consummation, and I wanted to mention uh, if you look at Strong's said, uh, it means completely, uh, to the end, finish, fulfill. And uh, 
It, it gives us a closing chapter on life. We're here for a purpose. And God is in control of all of the events that, and all of the things in each one of our lives as we yield ourselves to him. Uh, but God has a consummation plan when he's going to say, well, that's enough. This time, time will be no more. And that's what we're talking about this morning, that seventh mark on time when, when God says there will be time no more. Uh, you know, we're so, we're so bound by time. Gary talked about that in his, his experience in, in, in his day-to-day -day work. Uh, you know, we, we have schedules, we have, we have limits, and we, we want to meet those deadlines. And, uh, you know, we're so time-bound. And, uh, but, uh, you know, to I, we can't really comprehend how will it be without time. You know, just be forever, forever. But, you know, God doesn't reckon time like you and I do. And, uh, you know, the past is past. We can't change that. We can't touch that. We can learn from it. The present is what we have right here today, and that's continuously revolving. And then we look ahead to the future, and yet we, there's so much we don't understand about the future. You know, our, our, there's a veil. God has left a veil there for us so that we can plan, we can think, and we can say the Lord will. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's so much beyond our control that we don't know. So many circumstances that we don't understand. Daniel didn't know, probably, uh, in his childhood days that he was going to spend 90 years or close 70 years, rather, in Babylon. And, uh, you know, so there's so much we don't really understand about the future. But it's, it's encouraging to know that, uh, that uh, God does hold the future. You know, tomorrow is just like today. I like that. As far as God is concerned, tomorrow it's, it's here already. And uh, in his omniscience, he knows all that. Verses 20 and 21 in chapter 9 is where it mentions Gabriel by name. That's in Daniel coming to him. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking. and I, Someone mentioned this. He said in verse 20, he said, you look at Daniel and uh, the way he owns the, the plight of his people. He says he was praying, confessing my sin, the sins of my people Israel. You know, Daniel probably could have pretty much washed his hands of the whole thing and said, well, you know, I'm here really because of no fault of mine. It's everybody else's fault. He could have blamed everybody else. But, you know, it seems like he, he, he takes the blame himself. And uh, that's an impressive, you know, and even in our world condition today, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think we need to, to share the light as we talked in the Sunday school lesson. And uh, we need to confess our sins. We are, we are partners in, in, to a certain degree in, in the plight of our world. And yet God calls us to be lights in this evil and dark generation. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, verse 21, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me by the time, about the time of the evening, evening obligation. And he informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. This angel Gabriel here was going to give Daniel some understanding. Then he goes on to talk about the 70 weeks, and there's a lot of... In interpretation in those 70 weeks, a lot of disagreement on what all that is entailed in there, and I'm not going there necessarily. But I did find it interesting. I don't know if you noticed that last, in, when Christ refers to this, this chapter here in Daniel chapter 9, uh, he mentions that same expression. He says, those that read uh, and understand, I'm not quoting that quite, uh, in Matthew 24, when Jesus used that expression, he said, he that readeth, let him understand... Whoso readeth, thank you, let him understand. 
And I, you know, as I read God's Word, as you read God's Word, and as we were discussing the Sunday School lesson, you know, there's, there's things we don't understand. But, you know, we still read them. And we share together. Uh, we are insights and understanding of different scriptures. What does this mean? What does this mean to you? And that's, a, that's an aspect of growth, I believe. And uh, the Spirit gives us understanding. Here Gabriel was coming to Daniel to give him understanding. If we go back to... Uh, Luke chapter 9, this is our, uh, would be our typical Christmas Sunday, the Sunday before our uh, Christmas uh, event here on Friday. Going to the book of Luke chapter 1, I want to read a number of verses there, uh, verses 26 through 56. Luke chapter 1. Reading at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee, named. The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, end of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath, conceived, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Notice verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. You talk about stopping right there. There's a verse there that is impressive. You know, we talked about God's creation. We talked about God bringing a human being uh, or bringing the, getting his son, part of the Godhead, into a, a, a bodily form of a baby and, and bringing it into the world. That's, that's mind-boggling how God could do that. But with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, the prayer answer of Alice, you know, bring men and women back together in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's impressive. That's the kind of God we serve this, this, this today. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Departed from her. Uh, you know, we could all say that. Whatever the Lord wills, in my heart and life, in your life, that, when we yield ourselves to him, it's for his glory. And Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in, my, leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told of her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. 
For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength from his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich hath he set, sent away empty. He hath opened the serpent of Israel. He has helping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to his fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. The brother was wondering about women being equal. You know, you maybe ought to read this passage here. Uh, you know, that's impressive. God used two women here in a very, very powerful way to bring salvation to the world. Uh, I believe we're equal in Christ. Uh, regardless of our gender, while we have different roles to fill. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's an impressive, if anyone's feeling in, inferior, unequal, to realize that God used these two women, Elizabeth and Mary, to, to impact the world in a way that, that is, is, continues on yet today. While Daniel was looking for deliverance, the Jews were looking for deliverance. Are we looking for deliverance in the consummation that will take place today or sometime in the future? I don't know when that will be. I am not even going to set a date because Scripture says no man knoweth the hour or timing of his coming. He has given us signs that point toward that coming. You know, there are those that recognize the Messiah. I was, we mentioned that in the Sunday school lesson this morning, too, that recognize the Messiah at his, his first coming. And I went to, uh, again, one of those was a woman, Anna. Uh, Simeon and Anna in chapter 2, verses 25 through uh, 39. Uh, Luke chapter 2, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the, na- and the same man was just, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Just like Daniel. There he was, waiting in Israel for that, that deliverance. Daniel was waiting for deliverance from Babylon. You and I are waiting for deliverance from this world to w- when we can go home to be with him in glory. Verse 26, And it was re- revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he, he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents, Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of law. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Now I imagine Simeon had a lot of questions. How is this the little baby going to be the deliverer of Israel? There's a lot of things he didn't understand probably. But you know, he had seen... All he needed to see, his faith was, was, was confirmed, and he said, I'm ready to go home now. He took the Lord Jesus Christ up in his arms and blessed God. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And he hadn't seen, he hadn't seen the half of it yet. Here was this little baby, and he said, I've seen thy salvation. He hadn't seen his ministry, he hadn't seen the miracles. Talk about faith. Now, to me, that's impressive. He just saw that little baby there, and he, he knew it by the infilling of the Holy Ghost that somehow God's going to work this all out. And he was ready to go home. Verse 31. With, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, that's you and me, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at all those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon Blessed them and said unto Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may, 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's a powerful statement. Because of Jesus Christ, remember that point I said about Christ? That our view, our, our, our acceptance or rejection of him reveals what's in my heart this morning. That's exactly what Simeon here is talking about. He says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You stop and think about that. Here was, here was uh, Simeon prophesying that, okay, here's a mark on time that's going to make a difference. How, how, we, how we accept or reject Jesus Christ this morning. Now, verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Again, a very powerful testimony of her commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 38, And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord... They returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And I'll stop reading there. The question I want to challenge you with this morning, and I want you to take home as you think of the consummation thought here. I never did get my number seven in there. Well, that's me. (laughs) That's supposed to be number seven. I got distracted with the writing, but anyway... Uh, the thought I want you to take home with, would you, will you be the Simeons and Anna of the 21st century? Uh, as you think of, we're, we're past that initial arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're looking for that second, and we're anticipating that second return. Will you and I be the Simeons and Anna of that experience as well? That's, that's the thought I want you to take home this morning. Um, you know, now... The, the, the natural, the, uh, the, the, uh, the nature of his second coming is going to be probably quite a bit different than his first coming. His first coming was, was veiled in, very, in a very real way. However, if we look at the scripture, we find that, uh, if we look to Revelations chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Every eye shall see him at his second coming. Even them that pierced him, those that nailed him to the cross will see him and know that's, that's who we condemn to death. And imagine the fear, unless they've made their, unless they made their, their confessions before they died. Uh, you know, there's going to be fear and uh, anguish in their seeing him return. Going back again to Matthew chapter 24, as we think of the idea of consummation, I'd like to just go through that chapter and look at a number of the things that signs that will point to his second re- return. You know, the disciples asked the question, and we, we you know, it's, it's, a, it's a realistic question, I believe. I think that question sometimes lurks in the back of our minds, okay? When will the Lord return? Uh, I thought of the song this morning. I thought it was in Zion's praises here, so I was paging around through it. Uh, by the way, Wendy, do you know 606? That'd be my selection. If you know it, you can lead it. But uh, what a beautiful day for the Lord to come. And it's not in our, our hymn book or the Zion's praises. I thought it was, but it wasn't. Uh, but, you know, that's a song that des- describes an, uh, a person's desire for the Lord to come. What a beautiful day for the Lord to return. And I believe any day should be a beautiful day for the Lord to return. But the disciples asked that. They were, they were wondering about, okay, when, when will the end of the world be? When, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And, you know, that was always, even though they didn't fully understand all of his concepts, that it was a spiritual kingdom that he was talking about. 
um, you know, Jesus gave them some signs. And he starts out in his answer, he says, Take heed. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Seems like deception. If you read through chapter 24 of Matthew, deception is, is probably one of, the, one of the greatest threats that we have to face as followers of Jesus Christ. And we talked about that in the Sunday School lesson, the mysticism, and you know, they're connected together with spirituality. And uh, actually you think of the, uh, the idea of deception and false prophets. It's mentioned at least in four different verses down through chapter 4, uh, four different times. And then we, uh, we notice in verses uh, 6 and 7, it talks about the international conflict. Uh, so, okay, we know, the, we know the false prophets. We know the deception seems to be reigning upon us. We know the international conflicts there in verses 7. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, mentions then, thirdly, it mentions the uh, natural disasters. Uh, it mentions famines, pestilence, earthquakes in divers places, unusual places, might say. I had to think about the Ebola scare. You know, that was, that was uh, in my lifetime, that was probably one of the... Czars was another one, I guess. That was, was back in probably... Czars? Am I saying that right? Czars? That was a respiratory disease, wasn't it? Am I s- Sar. Sar. Okay. Um, that, was a re- that was a respiratory disease, wasn't it? Because I know we were flying that time internationally, and uh, the immigration inspectors had mass sewn and some of the, quite a few passengers in the airline terminals had mass sewn and uh, uh, but you know now Ebola was somewhat you know out of our general tra- territory of travel somewhat but there was a mission uh, CM had a mission over there what's the country Liberia there you go one of those that was very close and I suppose if you knew people in Liberia uh, and there were some workers of course that we knew but uh, you know, that's a natural disaster that seemed to be somewhat out of, out of our control. Um, the even bird flu, I guess, would be another one that's not directly connected to us as human beings, but it's, it's a pestilence. Matter of fact, at our, our CEM mutual aid meeting, they were talking about that. You know, should the mutual aid be responsible for the extermination of these or the loss of these farmers that had to uh, uh, exterminate their flocks because of that? And, uh, you know, it seems to be that, it almost seems to be somewhat of an act of God. Our, our bylaws do say that we're not responsible for disease. But, uh, you know, this seemed like it was going a step beyond just disease. It was, uh, even though it was, you know, you can't keep the birds from flying over your, over your property. And, uh, you know, with free range, particularly with open free range flocks that have, or I guess that's one of the disadvantages of having the organic free-range chickens, you know, they have outside access, and that was a point of contamination. And uh, so they were, they're reviewing that. I don't know. I didn't hear what the final, final uh, decision was on that, but they're, they're looking at it. I, one of the, uh, Mike told me, he said he's hoping that perhaps they, they make consideration for that, whether that's what the board of directors will end up deciding, I'm not sure. But uh, talk about natural disasters and pestilences and illnesses. Uh, you know, those are things that are, that are pointing toward the Lord's return. Another one is verse 17, uh, pardon me, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That means that sin is going to be, be multiplying. It says it, it's going to be abounding. Uh, and sometimes you wonder how, how can it abound more than it is already. But I believe it can. Satan is, is working feverishly, I believe. The love of many shall wax cold. I want to remind you, verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. 
That's, that's the message I want you to take home with you this morning. We need to endure, regardless of all the uh, threats that are around us in the world today, in our culture, our, our world, environment, we need to endure unto the end because that's where the crown is at. And uh, then he goes on and he, he gives some stories about the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world and uh, witnessed unto all nations. And verse 15, we already looked at that where he referred to the prophet Daniel. I want to mention one thing about verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Um, am I a part of that gospel this morning as I live my life, as you live your life? Am I a part of that gospel? Uh, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Uh, your daily lives is a way of preaching the gospel. You know, this is just a, behind this podium is just a very, very small portion of, of my life or anybody's life that stands behind that. We, we, the way we preach the gospel is the way that we live our lives out in the world, those that we work, uh, work those that we rub shoulders with, those that we work with, those that we interact with. Uh, again, that's a challenge in verse 14. Are we spreading the gospel in our kingdom as we, as we uh, live our lives? Verse 15, I mentioned about the understanding. I had to ask the question, how do we understand? Um, well, I, I, believe, I believe as we, we under, understand the Scripture, I believe, there's, uh, uh, I believe it's, we need to read it. We need to meditate on it. I believe we can share it in a Sunday school lesson just like we did this morning. That gives us understanding. Uh, I believe God can give us some revelation through His Spirit, even as He did to Daniel. Uh, I want to be careful when I say that because we need to be careful that we are not conflicting God's word in saying, I have, there are people sometimes that say that God has given me a spirit of revelation in regards, and it conflicts with other teaching, other areas of teaching of God's word, and God will never do that. I don't think God's spirit ever conflicts with other portions of God's word, and uh, that sometimes is in particular in relation to the application of the veiling or something like that. Well, the Lord told me it was not necessary. Uh, that we need to view the entire context of the Scripture. But I believe God can speak to us through His Spirit today yet, even as, as He did to Daniel, as He did to Simeon, as He did to Anna. Reading, praying, meditating is a way that God can speak to us. Dropping down to verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, that's a little different than his first coming. It shows him coming as with power and, and great glory. Notice in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation, and again, this has to do with your view of eschatology here, uh, and there was some reading about that uh, in my study. You know, it says immediately after the tribulation, some of, that, some of, you, would, some of, some of you that the Lord is uh, uh, taking his church out before and that's the premillennialist view, before this period of tribulation, some would believe that we're in that tribulation now. And uh, I guess I'll have to take the view of, of Milo Zare. He said, somebody asked him whether he was a premillennialist or millennialist, and he said, well, I'll tell you what I believe in, and you tell me what I am. And uh, so maybe that's the view I have. I was going to give you an assignment to tell you what, what I am this morning. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe the Lord is coming back again. That's a fact. And uh, I believe that, uh, uh, 
I was going to write all these down, but that's, that's the number one fact. I believe he's coming back. And now both premillennialists and millennials would believe that, but the timing of that is, is different. And, uh, but again, uh, and this is getting ahead of myself, if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, no, chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I have to give Brother Arnie credit for this. You know, if I ever have to get another Bible, I'm going to be lost because I, in my Bible I have so many things marked. I, I've recovered this thing once, and I, I'm getting to the point that the cover is standing up, and now the pages are getting bad. So I don't know what you do in that case. But anyway, at, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse uh, at the bottom of that chapter, I have written in, I, I'm going to give credit to Arnie because I think that's where I got this from. He says, helps in understanding eschatology. Uh, number one, he says it needs to be Christ-centered. Number two, he says it needs to be New Testament-based. And number three, he says more emphasis on Abraham's faith and less on his blood. And it's really the blood of Jesus Christ that, that makes the difference. Well, uh, Arnie, of course, was probably, of you would say, of the all-millennials persuasion. Uh, and we never really talked that much about it as a ministry, to tell you the truth. And we still don't talk that much about it. To me, it's secondary. Okay? I don't know where Dwight's at on it. Maybe he's a staunch premillennialist. That, see, that's the environment I was raised in. I, I was raised in a premillennialist environment, and then I moved for, I've been here now for 38 years in an all-millennialist environment, so I, I kind of say I'm balanced, but <laughs> I'm open for correction. I'm always open to learn. And, uh, but you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and uh, you know there again we have another chapter uh, that talks about the Lord's return. And I need to wrap this up, but... Uh, if you look at Second Peter chapter 3, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. You'll never go wrong by remembering the word of the Lord. You'll never go wrong. You remember what you read. You meditate on what you read. It'll, it'll keep you safe. I can guarantee you that this morning. God's word will keep you safe. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Oh, the holy prophets? That means Daniel? I think it does. I think it means Daniel. So I've got to give some credit to the premier languages that want to go back to Daniel and dig some stuff out. And of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's moving ahead. He's, he's moving ahead to, to uh, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? We don't know. The promise is there. He will come, but we can't say a certain, we can't give a certain time line date to that. The other six points all transpired. By faith, I'm accepting the seventh point, that there will be a consummation sometime. And we need to continue reading. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last... I can't read verse 3. Verse 4, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation... For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the worlds that was the world that then was being overflowed with water talk about the uh, flood but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men but beloved be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day God does not reckon time as you and I reckon time. It's immaterial to God. I shouldn't say it's immaterial to God. But, you know, we, we get so time conscious. To God, I think it's, he, his timing is perfect. And, and we want to nail things down. And we want to be exact. But 
You think of God, and it mentions that in the next verse. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is, is withholding his return, I believe, for that very purpose in verse 9. It's his long-sufferingness that, that is withholding his return. You think of the price that was paid on Calvary for the redemption of the world. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth and the works that therein shall be burned up. It isn't going to matter about the cows. It isn't going to matter about the job. It isn't going to matter about the truck, Gary. It's all going to be gone. It'll all be over with. We won't be tied down to anything in this world anymore. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being unfair shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Talk about consummation, where righteousness reigns in perfection. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent that ye be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. That's our responsibility while we live here today, that we be found diligent, uh, in peace, without spot, and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Okay, so there's some things that are hard to understand. Uh, you go back into the Old Testament prophets and try and put things together and understand them. They're hard to understand. Which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, and they do also the other scriptures, even unto their own destruction. You know, we can get distracted by, by our view of eschatology. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. God's word will endure. That was mentioned. Uh, I wanted to mention that also in, in Matthew 25, that God's word will endure. Uh, you know, there's so many things that are so unstable in our world today, but God's word is steadfast. It will endure. You can read in it. You can meditate in it. It'll be your keeping par throughout the unsettled future that our world in, and will know and see. May the Lord indeed find us faithful.